0: Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you are well. So a little bit different today. I'm going to film this on a Sunday afternoon. A little bit different video. i was going to tell you a personal story of mine, and this is something I've been meaning to talk about for quite some time because I think it impacts the channel and many of you are probably wondering, well, how on earth did I come up with the worldview I have? And as pretty much all of you know, I'm not a big fan of politicians. I think they're the dregs of our society, nor am I a fan of the mainstream media. I think they're in the exact same category, but I hold those views due to personal experience, not just based on what I see on Twitter, YouTube, social media, not just because what I've seen since 2020. Now, those of you who have followed the George Gammon channel, you know I started talking about things like the cerveza sickness in January of 2020, and then that carries straight through into the hysteria with Russia and Ukraine, and obviously, I didn't get everything right. No one ever does, but I think when it comes to the narrative the politicians were trying to push in the mainstream media, I think I was... was, if we look back in 10 years or 20 years, I think I'm going to be on the right side of history along with the majority of you who saw it the same way. And it's not like I had some special insight or talent or anything like that. It's just dealing with the politicians that I've dealt with in the past and the mainstream media. I, and and this wasn't in 2020, this was way back in 2009. (laughs) We'll get to the story in a moment, but I came to the conclusion that No matter how cynical I was regarding the machine, if you will, this relationship between these disgusting politicians and the media, no matter how cynical I was, it wasn't cynical enough. And I found that if my base case is just to assume they're lying and assume they have some sort of ulterior motive and assume that they're trying to spew propaganda, for some sort of, whether it's some Marxist agenda, a Malthusian agenda, or just because they're evil people or selfish, what have you. If you have that as your base case, what I've seen since really 2009 is the majority of time you're going to be right. Unfortunately, it's just, it is what it is. That's the world we live in. So in 2020, that was always my assumption that whatever whenever the me- mainstream media would come out and say this or this or they contradict themselves or whatever it was i would or the same thing with the politicians i would always assume that either the opposite was true they were lying or this was somehow propaganda and if i took the the other side of the coin then looking back in 20 years that would be the quote unquote right side of history and i think that's pretty much how things played out uh, again not just with the of sickness but with uh, Russia, Ukraine, a lot of the big topics that we've dealt with over the last three years. I think it's the exact same thing when you look at the central banks and what Jerome Powell said with, you know, inflation is transitory. Now, all of a sudden, we got this big problem. And if you just assume that they're always wrong and take the opposite side, nine times out of ten, you're going to be right. OK, so how did I come to that conclusion? Because I was definitely when I was growing up, when I was young in high school and college, you know, you're not really thinking about these things and I always assumed, especially in the United States, that although there were probably some bad politicians and the mainstream, and I actually didn't even really think about the mainstream media prior to 2009, but I always assumed they just reported the news. I always assumed that whatever was going on, they would just, oh, here, you got that piece of paper from the AP. I'm going to go ahead and read that. And that's what's going on. They're, they're just reporting what is happening. <laughs> How naive naive was I? And prior to 2009, I just assumed that, yeah, there were some bad apples with the politicians, but it was, for the most part, it was good people that were just put into difficult positions where there were no solutions. There were only trade-offs and any thing that they did, they were going to be the bad guy by some group, but for the most part, they were trying to do their best. And they had their first priority was to do what's right for society at large based on their ethics, their morals, and their worldview. And boy, was I wrong. But it takes me back to the conversation. I only had one conversation with my father about politics growing up, believe it or not. And for most of you who kind of know my backstory, my father was very old when I was young or when I was born, excuse me uh and he actually was in world war ii and uh those are the dog tags that i you guys see the the necklace that i wear all the time with the the dog tags That's, that's not like for show uh these are the actual dog tags that my father wore in world war ii yeah this is not a replica it's got his name on it and everything uh and he flew planes in the philippines so my father believe it or not was born in uh 1914 in tennessee so You know, we never, we, I was always into athletics and sports when I was young. And so we never talked about this stuff. I always thought it was kind of boring. I remember one time, and this must have been when my father was probably, I mean, in his late 80s. I remember I was up at his house in Oregon and he was watching some show. It was like the, the History Channel or something like that. And we were sitting there watching it together, just kind of hanging out. And it was about, past presidents. And I thought to myself, I said, man, you know, dad was born in in 1914 and he's seen, think about the presidents that he's lived through with FDR, with JFK, with uh, uh, Nixon, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, you know, Bill Clinton, all these people. And I thought, man, he's probably got some great stories. And he's probably got some, some opinions on, certain presidents for sure and i never even talked about this so i brought it up i said dad i go out of all the presidents that you've seen which one is your favorite i thought that would be a good way to open it up and i thought i'd get some big long stories like the stories he used to tell me about world war ii and he he looked at me and he always called me georgie boy he just looked at me and kind of stared for a couple seconds It my father. was very stoic. And he said, Georgie boy, I don't like any of them. And I said, come on, dad. There had to be a couple. I mean, for heaven's sakes. I mean, there's some super famous people that you, you know, that we read about in the history books that you were actually there. I mean, come on. There, there's got to be one person, one guy that was president that you actually like. And he goes, nope. I go, come on, dad. I go, why not? There wasn't one president you like. And he looked at me and he said, this is after I said, why? There's got to be some reason. And he looked at me, that same look. He said, because they're all crooks. That's it. (laughs) Because they're all crooks. And so I got a kick out of that. I started laughing and I just kind of let it go. And that was the only conversation that I ever had with my father about politics. That was it. And I think he passed away when I was 35 or so. So in all 35 years, that was the only one. And I'm sure that for most of you who had a father that was rather stoic, that didn't say too much, but what he did say was incredibly profound, especially when you look back on it, you know, after they've passed or kind of later on in life. And, At the time, I really didn't think anything of it. But the older I get, the more I realized how true that is. And it's just so simple. But if you just use that as your base case, that they're just all crooks, then you're going to be right far, far, far more (laughs) than than you're wrong if you look at them through this lens. But regardless of that conversation, I still had this naive view prior to 2009. So then what happened is I was uh, one of the businesses I had before I retired was a business. It was a convention business. In fact, it was pretty much the exact same as Rebel Capitalist Live. I'm sure a few of the people here in the chat right now have been to a Rebel Capitalist Live. Or it's just basically, well, then it was like a three to five day event. Rebel Capitalist Live is only It's kind of a weekend event, but you have speakers and whatnot for a specific uh, group of people. Obviously, for me, it's all about kind of freedom, liberty for market capitalism, uh, macroeconomics. But it was an event very, very similar to that. And back then, I don't know how it works now. I don't know how it works pretty much with the internet, but there was no, we weren't doing any sales on the internet. We weren't selling tickets on the internet. So part of our process when someone bought a ticket is we... Uh, had them sign off on a refund policy. Now what happens is when you're running a business and you're selling in multiple States, what you do is you have kind of a template policy that is legal throughout the 50 States. But what happens is when you're doing individual sales in specific States, sometimes they have a little bit different twist on that, refund policy, which is kind of very generic, you know, but they have a little bit of a twist on it for maybe, you know, two or three sentences, something like that. So usually the process was you'd go and you'd sell tickets in a specific area. And if there was an issue, then the local, uh, AG would reach out to your lawyer and say, Hey, you know, we, we got word that you're in the area, love to have you, but we noticed your, uh, you know, your refund policy, it needs to have this punctuation or you need to include this word. Or it was always something very, very minor like that. Just so you were abiding by Texas law or whatever. And it was always the same conversation, always very friendly. And we'd say, absolutely, no problem. We'll make that change. Next time we come in, done. Easy peasy. And that was always the conversation that you had with these people. And this was, went on for a, a few years. And, it, you know, you you wouldn't get the call all the time. But maybe once every I don't know, three or four months or something like that. You would get, uh, you would get that. That I don't know if they'd call me or they'd call my lawyer, but anyway, you would get that call and they'd basically say, "Hey, please tweak this. No problem." So fast forward to 2009, and we were doing an event in Connecticut, and this time we got something from the AG. There, it's pretty much boilerplate, and we said, "Sure, no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll make the change." And th- what the change was, to be specific, is there was just a couple paragraphs of this uh, refund policy. And what they wanted was two sentences just to be bold print. They didn't even want us to add or take out a word. That's it. Just two sentences, bold print. No problem. No problem. Then what happened is about two weeks went by. And you get another call from their office. And they say, oh, you." Yeah, actually, we got a little bit of a problem. We're going to need George to fly out to Connecticut so we can address this with him face to face. And, you know, I'm getting this through my, my lawyer and I'm like, what? I'm like, this is, huh? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, they're, they're the, he's the guy in charge. I'm not going to, you know, Trump down to pound sand. I'm not going to, ruffle any feathers. I just want to do what's right and just kind of move on. So I flew out there and they go through, and then I I didn't meet with the AG. I met with his staff and they sit there and go over all of these details and all of these things. But really what it boils down to, again, is just, there's two sentences in the, this one paragraph that needed to be in bold. And so, you know, we sat there and talked for a half hour and I'm like, guys, this is going nowhere. This is pretty much the exact same thing that you were talking about before I made the change uh, why am I here? And they said, well, actually, we're going to need to fine you. I said, uh, okay, Th- this has never happened. I think this is a little over the top, but whatever you think is appropriate for you know, me not having two sentences of this refund policy that are in bold print, even though there's no other state that requires this, And even though this is the refund policy we've been using in every other state with no problems whatsoever, fine. You know, do what you need to do. So I left. And then I get, uh, I I can't remember if it was from uh, the lawyer. I somehow uh, got wind of this. You know, it was a little tough because back then they didn't have Twitter and we didn't have, we weren't so much text messaging. You know, you're just getting phone calls and whatnot and emails. But anyway. I found out that the uh, the AG himself goes out to the public news stations there in Connecticut and says that he has stood up for the consumer of the state of Connecticut. And he's done so by reprimanding this evil business, this greedy capitalist that was coming into Connecticut and ripping off all of the consumers and blah, blah. Now, do you think that he said, or do you think that he mentioned why he was... Uh, laying this $25,000, what ended up being a $25,000 fine. Do you think uh, he was saying why? Of course not. Of course not. He wouldn't say that because then he'd look like a jackass, <laughs> right? So he sits back and says, oh, well, it's, uh, well, the, the details really aren't important. I'm just standing up for the consumer. So then this goes on for a couple weeks, and I'm going back and forth with his office, and I get someone there that's actually kind of nice and wants to be helpful, and they start telling me really what's going on behind the scenes. They start pulling back the veil, and they said what had happened is he is this AG was trying to run for Senate or he was trying to run as a, a state representative or something like that. He was trying to have a higher political position and single And he figured that if he presented this to the media, that the media would take this and run with it and that they would just go ahead and do whatever they want to with it. And that would give him more exposure to increase the probability that more people would vote for him when he went on this campaign To become a senator or whatever his objectives were and i'm like okay now now this is making a lot more sense here i get it so i'm like you know if this guy's obviously as crooked as a scenic railway and by the way the the uh ag turned out to be i think he's still in politics but he was the guy that uh lied about being in vietnam and he got in kind of a, a battle there with uh, with Trump. His last name was Blumenthal. I don't know if you guys remember that. But uh, anyway, so then I get the story as to really what's happening, and I'm like, wow, that's that was in and of itself was a huge eye opener for me. And at the time, I thought that yeah, this stuff goes on in the world, but it doesn't happen in the United States. I mean, we're we're. Uh, a country of of laws and of morals and of ethics. And our politicians would, would never do something like that. I mean, you know, they want to get elected, but they're not going to stretch the truth. I mean, they're not going to do something like this, but oh boy, was I wrong. And that's not where it ended. So what happened is every other day or once a week, I can't remember what it was, but this guy was going out and doing another press conference and he noticed that every single time he upped the ante, he would get more positive feedback from the press because it was just this relationship. See, the press would take it and spin it. And they'd get all the clicks, they'd get all the views, they'd get all the ratings. And the more ratings they got, right, the more they would run with other stories similar to it, and the more that would give the exposure to the politician. So then the more stories he would come out for the media... To run, spin, and do the exact same thing. And so the next step is I get a call from the uh, their office or something like this, and they said, "Yeah, uh, we we appreciate you paying the the twenty five thousand dollars, but actually, that's uh that's not going to do it." I said, "You've got to be kidding me! We had an agreement, we had a signed agreement, saying that you guys were unhappy with X, Y, and Z." with the two sentences in the, in the uh, cancellation policy, that I'd go ahead and amend that. Next time I came in, I'd pay the fine for overlooking it, and that was it. We have a signed agreement, for heaven's sakes. And they said, yeah, we know, but well, unfortunately, that's, uh, that's, that's not going to work. We're going to have to amend that. I said, okay, well, how are you going to have to amend that? I said, oh, well, what you need to do is you need to refund everyone from the state that goes to the event. And I said, oh, you know, fine, whatever. I keep playing this game, you know, and when behind the scenes, I'm calling my lawyer and say, what is going on here? How can this be, uh, how is this legal and how are they doing this and why can't you fight back? And the answer that I'd get every single time from him was George, it's, it's the AG. You, you, you can spend all the money you want just to make yourself feel good, but you're just gonna be basically pissing into the wind. He goes, at the end of the day, they win. They're above the law. I cannot do anything, no matter how wrong they are. That was the message that I'd always get from my lawyer. So, you know, they'd come out with another demand. I'd say, okay, fine. Let me grab my ankles again here. You guys want to go to the media with this? So then they said, okay, everyone that signed up from the state of Connecticut, you need to go ahead and refund them. I said, okay, fine, we'll do that. Then another week or two go by. Oh, well, actually, we have another demand. Well, you refunded those people, right? I said, yeah, but you you need to let them still attend the event. What are you talking? I've got costs involved. So anyway, this goes on and on and on for probably, I don't know, two or three months, something like that. And th- the bottom line is where we ended is I had to put on the event. And then after the event, I had to refund everybody. After they went to the event. Now, reg- you know, so think about this. It's like Rebel Capitalist Live. Everyone goes there to the event, enjoys the event, listens to the speakers, has a good time. Then after the event, as they're leaving, I've got to cut them a check for whatever they paid. Or or think about it this way. It's like Walmart. Just imagine if Walmart took all their gross sales for the entire year, or I'm sure many of you run a business. You took all your sales from the entire year, and then you just had to refund everyone in full, even though 99.9% of the people we're happy with the service. You can see what that would do to the business. You'd go bust very very quickly. See? So this all happened just I mean within a matter of months where you're riding high, you've got this business that you've worked very very hard to build. It's something at the time I think we had I think we had over 100 employees when you look at the part-time employees as well. But I had other businesses involved there. And some of the employees worked for both. And, you know, some of the admin, the people that were doing my books and whatnot, they would do the books for several different companies. So to say 100, that's probably not accurate, but well over 50. And so then three months later, basically, you're out of business. So I can tell you that my thought process at the time was very dark, to say the least. Because if I'm going to go out of business, and it's something that I did, if something that I screwed up, right, if I made a bad business decision, if I, uh, you know, didn't retain some of my best employees or something like that, if I didn't manage my cash position well, the working capital, etc., you go out of business, hey, that's that's life in the big city, right? But this was very difficult to handle because it was something completely out of my control and I just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And combining that with your whole entire worldview being shattered. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as forward slash pro that's georgegammon.com forward slash pro we'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level so again i forgot how old i was uh but you know i was in my mid-30s or so and again at the time i thought that politicians in the united states for the most part just wanted to do what was right and they were just good people in bad in in tough situations and i thought that stuff like that happened where it was basically blackmail it was political blackmail i knew that that stuff happened but, but again i thought it just happened in places like china and just you know outside of the united states and so you've got two things going on here number one your entire Worldview and everything that you thought was true, based on the government and the country that you've grown up in, just crashes down. While at the same time, you've got the business going, uh, you know, going going bust, going in the process of going broke, going out of business. And so, mentally, this is very difficult to handle. And you know, quite frankly, even now, it's 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 difficult to kind of talk through. Because mentally, like I said earlier, I was just in a very, very dark place. I, at that point in time, I was as close to being depressed as I ever have been. I just felt as though prior to that, I felt as though in starting a business, it was something that I was, I was in control of my own destiny. But then I started to realize that maybe I'm not. And maybe if I work my, my tail off, even if I do this again, and I work my tail off, who's to say, that I'm not going to be in the exact same position and just have some politician. And now I started to see it, you know, opens up your eyes. You're like, wait a minute. No, this isn't one politician. This is all of them. They're all like this. And this is how they play the game. And this is how they play it with the mainstream media. This is the synergistic relationship between the two. I said, so if this is the way the world really works in the United States, what's the point of even starting a business again? when it's just going to, it's when I've got a a high probability that you just get in the crosshairs of some politician that's just going to use you for political fodder. And so, and again, let me be clear. I'm not saying that that was the right mentality to have. In fact, I think that was a loser mentality. And that's something that I'm going to discuss right now, because at the you'll see at the end of the story here, I think this can be very inspirational and it's something that even to this day I use to reflect back on if I feel like I'm kind of in a rut. You know, what's interesting is I just listened to a part of an interview with Russell brand and uh, Tucker Carlson and Tucker was saying how he's 54 years old and of you know, he loves life. He's, he's blessed And even after Fox, you know, he's got all these opportunities, but he says now he's able to sleep in late, have breakfast with his wife and, you know, all these things and really enjoy. But he says, part of the problem is you realize that you've got to remain engaged because everyone thinks they'd love to retire and do all these things, just sit pina coladas on the beach. But after doing that for a month or so, it gets really boring. It gets old. And I think this is where people mentally just kind of drift off when they get into their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, etc. And so Tucker said that he's making it a point to really stay engaged, to stay motivated, to build other businesses, to build a media company so he can remain kind of on top of his game and continue to strive to have more and more success. You see, but back during this period in 2009, or this was going into 2010, I was in that dark place, in that loser mentality, Bill, that woe is me, why should I try, why should I do anything? You know, it's like, like that cartoon scene where the character's got his hands in his pockets and he's kind of looking down at the ground, and he's kind of kicking the dirt. That's exactly the headspace I was in, just feeling sorry for myself, really. And so, again, this is this kind of loser mentality that I, I would call that a loser mentality. So what did I do? Well, I needed to clear my mind, so I went to one of my favorite places on planet Earth. And this is called Moab, Utah. And uh, I believe at the beginning of the live stream, I was talking about that conversation I had with Kenny. And that's kind of what uh, prompted me to come on live here and talk about this. But, uh, you know, Kenny, he was telling me he's going to Moab. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I should tell that story. So anyway, this is one of my favorite places on Earth. So I thought, okay, I'm in this really... I I'm depressed for lack of a better word. I've uh, you know, just, just I'm very negative, 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 everything. Every time I look out the window, it's just negative thoughts. And so I'm like, let's go up to Moab, clear my head. So when I'm in Moab, I really like to go hiking a lot. So I got there, checked in the hotel, super excited. You know, if you've ever been to Moab in the summer, it's just absolutely fantastic. And it's up by Arches national park. So I went out hiking and I parked my car and I went out probably 45 minutes away from the parking lot. I stumbled across this kind of, uh, you know, it's all sandstone out there. So it's kind of like the edge of this it wasn't really the edge of a cliff, but it was a, an incline. And then once you got to the end of the incline, it dropped off and it was literally a, like a thousand foot drop. But this, as I was looking at it, standing there from here where it was flat, I wanted to get to the top of that incline. And it didn't look that steep and it was sandstone. So I thought, well, I can just kind of, you know, climb on here and, and get up there really fast and get to the top. And then I'll be on my way and get to the point where I was trying to get to, or just continue my, my little hike, my journey. So I got about halfway up the little incline and the incline turned out to be a lot steeper than I thought. And all of a sudden I started to slide down that incline and I realized that I couldn't get back to where I started and I couldn't get up to the top. And then you realize that you're sliding down like this. And if you slide another, I mean, it was close, call it 15 feet. You're right off the edge. You're dropping a thousand feet. Just kind of like Wile E. Coyote. So in a split second, I went from oh yeah, no problem. You know, let's continue the hike, clear my mind. I'm just going to get to the top of this peak to having that, I don't want to use profanity, but that O O O S moment. You guys know what I'm talking about there. And just trying to grab to any little ledge that I that I could to stop the slide. So fortunately I was able to, yeah, rimrocked. I see Moody the Millennial saying, yeah, I, I looked up the term actually when I got done it, And that's what it is, it's called rim rocked. And so I... I was able to grab kind of like a, a, a ledge, uh, uh, well, like a crack in the, in the rock and hold on. But then, you know, you just have all these thoughts and you're like, Holy cow, what's going on? What's going on? And you're like, you know, if, if it just dawns on you, that if you let go that, that you're off the cliff and it dawns on you that you can't stay there forever. And I'm like, Oh, well I'll call. And you look at your cell phone and you're like, no, you're 45 minutes from the parking lot. You're 45 minutes from cell phone reception. And then, and I don't know how, I mean, this ain't like just split seconds. I, I don't know how long it was, but then you, my uh, arm that was holding onto this crack, stopping the slide, you know, you start to shake because you've only got so much strength and your muscles start to burn out. So then you, you realize that, well, wait a minute, even if I'm able to call on a cell phone and, you know, have some helicopter come out, I, I don't have that long. Like it's going to take them a half hour to get out here. I, I cannot hold on for a half hour. So then, and again, I don't know how, I don't know if this was minutes that went by or seconds, it just, it's kind of like, like the whole thing is a blur, even 2009, like even 2009, 2010, it's all kind of a blur. <laughs> I was just in such a bad place mentally. But then it, it dawns on me after whatever it was, a couple minutes that I've got to yell for help. That's my only prayer. That's the only thing that's going to save my life is if I yell for help. So I start yelling, I mean, literally at the top of my lungs, yelling, help, help, help me. I'm about to fall, you know, help. And then all you hear are just echoes and you get this really, like you get a feeling that I, that there's no way I can describe it. it. It just like this realization, like this realization where you just go cold and, and you, you realize that you're the only one out there. And. You've only got maybe, yeah, you know, I don't know, three, five minutes or whatever to continue you to yell, but you're 45 minutes from that parking lot. And it's literally going to require a miracle from God to prevent you from going right off that cliff. So I keep yelling. And then while I was yelling, I remember I was uh, switching hands. So I'd hold on with this hand until it started to shake. And then I'd go to that hand and still... And still until it started to shake, I kind of go back and forth. And then I try to like Jimmy my my foot into something that would keep it so I could give my hands a break. I was just trying to buy as much time as possible. Well, but what's crazy is you're trying to buy as much time as possible. At the same time, your life is flashing before your eyes. At the same time, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to pray. You're trying to reach out to God. You're trying to not just pray like help me, but you're also saying, okay, this is probably it. Please let my family know that I, I, I love them somehow and that I look forward to seeing them in you know, whatever comes next. All this happening at the same time. Very difficult. Nothing like I've ever experienced in my life, obviously. So then, I mean, I, again, this could have been five minutes. It could have been 10 minutes. It could have been it was at least probably three minutes. Um, actually, you know, now that I think about it, it's probably, I would guess maybe five, seven minutes, something like that, but who knows? But out of nowhere, I hear this very faint, hang on, I'm coming. Hang on, I'm coming. And I remember saying, okay, this is, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic, but it sounded like he was so far away. And at the time I was still shaking. I'm like, he needs to understand the urgency here. So I yelled back at him. I said, please hurry, please hurry. I don't know how much longer I can hang on. I remember that vividly. So he you know, yells back and don't worry, I'm coming, I'm coming. Just hang on, I'm coming, I'm coming. But it sounded like he was so far away that there was a chance that, that I wouldn't be able to make it. So then really, this was just a complete miracle. I, and again, I don't know how many minutes went by. I, I look up at the top of the ledge and here's this kid, probably 19 years old, something like that. And you can tell that he's like a professional. He's got the ropes. He's got the professional, uh the, the hook things. He's got the, uh, the shoes, everything. And as soon as he sees where I am, I remember he just took out the rope and wham, I don't know if there was like one of those hook things for professional climbers or something like that. I remember he just wham, hooked himself up there really quick. And then he kind of wrapped some ropes around his torso. And then he he, um, goes, you know, just scales down as quickly as he possibly can. And as soon as he gets to me, he just takes the rope, puts it around me, and latches it to himself so we were all connected you know it's, it's up on my armpits here and at that point at that point I knew everything was going to be fine and he kind of walked me down or not not walk but we kind of scaled once we were tied onto the ropes we kind of scaled back to where I uh, started you know that 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 flat area and you can imagine I mean I was just I mean uh, the adrenaline, I I my, my hands, my legs were just shaking. Uh they're I mean, I was just like out of control. And obviously I I I turn, I I'm just thanking him profusely, saying, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, you saved my life, man. You you saved my life. And what was funny is he's like, oh no, oh no, it, no big deal. Uh you know, you, you would have figured out a way to get out of that. And I'm like, no, 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 I would not have, uh, no. And, you know, at that point we're kind of laughing about it and whatnot. And so, um, I was just thinking to myself, you know, how can I possibly, uh, repay this person that just, you know, what are you going to do to so the person, uh, that just, uh, literally saved your life. So there, if you, any of you have been to Moab, you know that there's this one, and I don't know if it's still like this, but there's this one place where everyone kind of goes for dinner. It's called the Moab Brewing Company. So they go off on their adventures during the day and they come back to this Moab Brewing Company. So I'm like, look, I'll, I'll meet at the Moab Brewing Company. You'll let me buy you dinner, something like that. He's like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe we might be there. You know, my, I'm up here with my girlfriend yada, yada, yada. So I went to my uh, ATM and I'm like, okay, he's a kid. He probably needs some money. I'm like, let me just, uh, you know, however much I can take out, I think it was like two grand was the max or something like that. I took out two grand. I put in an envelope. I went down to the, the, the dinner, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Moab Brewing Company. And it was about the time that I said I was going to be there. I ate, he didn't show up, uh, at the time. And I said, okay, I gave it to the gal at the front desk there that seats you. I said, Hey, this is an envelope, very important. Um, if you do me a favor and this is the kid's name, I can't remember what his name was, but if you could do me a favor and make sure if he comes in as a girlfriend, I described him everything. I'd sincerely appreciate it if you made sure he got this. And in there, I I gave him my uh, email address and whatnot. So, you know, at that point in time, well, as soon as I got off the Hill, it, it, you know, it, it, it just dawned on me that all of these things I was mad at. I was mad at the world. I was mad at the politicians. I was mad at the media for for doing basically to me what they just did to Peter Schiff. If you guys have been following what's happened with Schiff and his bank, it was literally the exact same thing that happened with me, but in reverse order. So what happened with Schiff is the media, you know, tried to do this hit piece on him to begin with, just to get the ratings. And then the politicians piled on where with me, it was the exact opposite. The the pol- same result, right? Same thing. But the politicians started and then the mainstream media piled on. And then it was just this, you know, this synergistic relationship where the media would take it to an extreme. The politician would do something else and they just go back and forth and back and forth. The media gets their ratings. The politician, you know, gets his political clout or political equity to try to be the next Senator or whatever the hell he was trying to do. But I was so in that, that negative spot and I wish I had a better way to describe it, but I I really don't. It's, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Everyone, this is, you know, life is a roller coaster ride. We all know that. And sometimes you have some lows. And this was without a doubt the lowest point in my life. Uh, other than, you know, my father passing away and, and family members, some, something pertaining to family. But it just, it dawned on me right then and there. Once I got off, once he, the, the kids saved me, that what am I doing here, George? What, what are you doing? You're, you're healthy. Sure. Did you just lose everything with this business and whatnot? Sure. But dude, so What? you're alive, man. You're, you're alive. You're healthy. You're young. You've got all these things going for you. You know, you've built other businesses in the past. Some have failed, some have done well, but if you look the one thing, and this is what my father always said. He didn't say this about politicians, but this is the way I look at it. He would say, Georgie boy, the one thing that they can never take from you is right here. They can never take that away. And you know, like, most of the things my father said that really resonated with me. You still have that. So what are you doing being negative? What are you doing with this loser mentality? I mean, snap out of it, man. You almost died right there. You're sitting there, you know, just feeling sorry for yourself. And you've got all these things going for you. And it completely shifted. It just, it was like a light bulb went on. And from that point on, I was like, who cares what happens? You know, I'm going to make it through this and I'm going to be even better as a result. And like I said, now, whenever I get into like kind of a funk mentally, and we've all been there, right? It's just part of life. But I always reflect back on that experience. And when I do, I'm like, you know what? This isn't that bad. This is, let's look at the bright side of this and you're going to come out ahead and you're going to be better as a result, regardless of what is happening. And, and this is one of the reasons why I've been able to start this YouTube channel. It's one of the reasons why I've been successful in investing. It's one of the reasons why I was able to start that TV show, which was one of the craziest things I've ever done here in Medellin, you know, a Spanish speaking country, Colombia, and I don't even speak Spanish. But the reason I was able to do that is because after that point, when I almost fell off the cliff, I was like, who cares? So what if I try to start this TV show? And med- So what if it flops? So what if it fails miserably? Who cares? I'm just going to do it again. I'm just going to keep doing it again. And you go from having that loser mentality to a winner mentality. And it seems very simple, just like all the things my father told me. But the, more, the older you get, the more things that happen to you, you understand how profound just that simple mental shift can be. Now, let's go back to the story. About, I don't know what, again, I wish I had more details here, but it's all just kind of a blur. About, but it's about a month, maybe two months later, after the kid saved me and I, I left Moab, I was looking at my, my emails and I noticed that I got an email there. And I'm like, wait a minute, that, that name sounds familiar. And I opened it up and it was an email from the kid. It was a long email. And he said, George, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate, we went to the Moab Brewing Company. We got the money. It was, you know, whatever, $2,000. And he goes, what I didn't tell you up there on the the cliff is the reason I was there is because my girlfriend and I were broke. We both, I think they both lost their job or he lost their job. You know, I think they were in college, something like that. But they got to a point where they ran out of, they were basically on their last dime. And they were in a very bad place uh, mentally, just like I was. And they went down to Moab for the exact same reason. And I'm going to try to hurry up the story here because I'm going I'm to lose it. Uh, he said, basically, they, they didn't have money for rent. They didn't have money for anything. And because I gave them that $2,000, they were able to go back to Salt Lake. They were able to pay their rent. They were able to get caught up uh, you know, on a couple little bills. And it bought them enough time to go out and get a job and get them back on their feet. And I thought, how, um, you know, how incredible, uh, you know, I've always been a Christian. That's why I was raised. Uh, you know, I don't talk about it much, but, you know, in, in those types of situations, you've got to sit back and say, you know what, this is not all random. You know, there's a purpose here and there's someone, higher power, you know, if you want to call it that, that at times is uh, putting these things together. So I've got to get to another live stream on the George Gammon channel. But if you're ever wondering uh, why I dislike the, the mainstream media so much, why I dislike politicians so much, and why my base case is to always assume that they are crooks, now you know the backstory. Guys, enjoy the rest of your evening, your weekend, and as always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. We'll see you in the next video.